ministries down at the beach. And that's at 501 15th Street, Virginia Beach. There's a church down there. I tell you, it is a wonderful time to go and to serve those less fortunate than I. You, you come away, you know, truly it is, it is true. It is better to give than to receive. And so that's a wonderful opportunity to be a part of helping our community. And uh, so I encourage you to be a part of that. Anyone can come, just come in, at, at 2.30. And it may not go that long. You can leave whenever you want, uh, but uh, just come on. Uh, we have a men's Bible study for uh, 20s and 30s that's going to be starting up May 10th. You know, we've got a lot of people in this age range, and it's a specific age range. You're dealing with a lot of challenges, career, maybe married or dating or new kids. And what we're looking at is a study for your particular age group to help you uh, figure out how do I incorporate the gospel into my life as I live out these different uh, parts of my life. So it's going to be a great study, 6.30 to 7.30 in Pan- at Panera in the center of town, in town center. You can come to that and then uh, go on your way. Women's Bible study continues. Uh, You can see that announcement in there, as well as community groups. Encourage you, if you're not a part of a community group, go ahead and engage with one. We have some different community groups here. Hopefully, you've been invited. If you you don't need an invite, uh, but we really want uh, Redeemer to be a place of community. So encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, Now, my final announcement, I'm actually going to call up my wife. This is a neat thing that happened uh, this this past week regarding Redeemer. Redeemer had a great opportunity to be instrumental in helping change somebody's life and uh, be instrumental in helping someone who is less fortunate than us in the community. So we're going to get a little information about that. The first is, Leon, what am I I talking about and how did this come about? Um, Well... What happened was, I'm a part of a journey group, which is about seven ladies that meet Monday nights, and it's a discipleship group that's pretty hardcore. You, you don't want to miss it. You're there every week, and it takes um, a lot of biblical principles, and you learn them, but not only do you learn them, you have to actually begin to incorporate them in your life. And so recently, there was a big emphasis on um, viewing people in the image of God and beginning to reach out and have a missional mindset towards the people around us. So this idea that you're talking about was born out of that, where our group had been talking and saying, okay, really, who's right beside you that may need something and may need something that you have? And let's do something about it, not just talk about it. So you, you found a person, this gal, Kathy, who we both know. Why, why Kathy? Why was Kathy the person that you picked to try to help and for Redeemer to try to help? Well, each one of us was supposed to think about somebody that mattered to us and was close to us or near us. And um, Kathy has been in my life for about 11 years. She's a, about a 50-year-old woman who has um, been disabled since birth. And she lives independently and is very um, joyful and just loves the Lord. But she has significant needs um, financially and um, physically. And she had had a scooter that would give her tremendous independence. If you guys have ever been on First Colonial Road, you may have seen her come by in her scooter. And her last scooter was a bit of a death trap. But um, it finally died. And all of us who loved her were relieved. Mm. But it died about eight or nine months ago, and she has not been able to get another one. Um, Her insurance does not view a scooter as a need. Um, But she is homebound without it. And so she's been inside her four walls, dark little apartment, and very lonely um, with no way out, no way to get to Kroger, no way to get to the places she needs without just people helping her. That's great. So Redeemer, and we're going to show a video of of this, uh, was able to purchase a scooter. Some folks from uh, Redeemer helped out and people in the community to give this gal a really top-of-the-line scooter that gave her mobility back 
What, what has been the impact with her and just even the community watching us kind of surprise her with this? It was amazing. I did not think this would happen. I don't have $3,000 to buy her a scooter, so I thought this is just such a, you know, just, okay, God, let's see what happens. And so we put the word out, and you guys, in two days, two days, we had the money. It was amazing. And probably 20-some people, 27 people, people I didn't even know, People that had come to our community group but have not yet been to Redeemer. People from our community group. People from my journey group. I mean, it was crazy. People on Facebook, just money rolling in because they, people want to help people. And so she was completely surprised. Completely surprised. So. Okay, so we're going to show you a video when we actually presented her with the scooter. And we did one of those bus driver move that buses. So there was a van and the scooter was behind it. So that's what you're going to see as I hit the video here when she first sees it. This thing moves. <laughs> there you have it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Redeemer's mission statement is to make mature and equipped disciples used to transform our families, this community, and the world beyond. And that's what we want to be about, our faith being expressed in our lives. Well, let's go ahead and let's go to God's Word here. We continue our study in Colossians, Colossians 3, 5 through 11. This can be found in your uh, bulletin. If you'll remember, we stopped for Easter for a little bit, but we've been doing this study, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And we're going to turn the corner in the book of Colossians. For this first part of the book of Colossians, all the way up to Colossians 1 through 3, 4, 
we've been answering the question, Paul has been answering the question, who is this Jesus? Then Paul has taken that question and he's moved forward to ask the next question, which is who are we in Jesus? And now Paul is turning the corner into how do we live in light of who we are? It's the way Paul works, indicative to imperative. What is true and what must we do in light of what is true? So we're going to be turning the corner with Colossians and taking a look at what must, be, what must we do. Let me read this passage. Hear the word of the Lord. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Actually, I'm going to read 3, 1 through 4 and 5. You don't have 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, the, in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. The word of the Lord. So who got up early for the royal wedding? Anybody? Nice, Dave Tevy. Good enough for the royal wedding. Okay, there's been a lot of excitement about there. Who watched the royal wedding for DVR or something like that? Okay. You know, it's been exciting to watch this, right? The emotions. And, you know, it's, I, don't, I don't get it, frankly. Okay? I don't get it. It's just two people getting married in a big church. But for women in particular, you know, it's the dress, it's the gown, it's the cake, it's the blah, 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 and uh, no wonder it's been called the, the World Cup for women, is, is them getting married. I thought it was kind of funny, the World Cup for women. Well, a lot of positive emotions there, but you know, um, we can have negative emotions too, and I'm going to share with you a story I'm not very proud of about negative emotions. It was, uh, I don't know, about a couple months ago, maybe a month and a half, and we're going to a lacrosse game. My middle son, Will, plays lacrosse, and so it's out in York County because all these games are all over the place, and we're traveling, six kids, you know, six people in a car trying to get to this game, and we got to get lunch, okay? So pull in the Wendy's to go ahead and get lunch, and I don't know about you, but feeding kids in a car is chaotic, okay? Food's sort of going everywhere. You're trying to get the food to people because you're trying to get to the game, and lo and behold, my wife is distributing the food to people, and I'm trying to get out of there, and, you know, I see my burger, so I grab my burger, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to drive here and eat my burger, and I hit a little speed bump, and Lee Ellen's drink spills, okay? So more chaos, and Liella, not even thinking, she's in kid mode, kind of reaches over to grab my burger and says, hey, you can eat that later. And it was like a German shepherd came out of nowhere. 
unbelievable. I mean, it was like that. You know, I was having a good time. And just in a second, this monster came out. You know, zero degrees with your blood to boiling, just like that. Unbelievable. You know, now granted, maybe shouldn't have grabbed the burger, but I think my response was a little bit over the top. You know, why do we react like that? Now, some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Driving along in the highway, kind of having a bad day, somebody pulls over and cuts you off, and you just go ballistic, inside or outside. You're, you're, you're angry. You're upset. You want to kill this person, and they're just driving along. What's up with that? Where does that come from? Or you can relate to other stuff, you know, your kids, they come to you, you're having a bad day, and they're saying something, and they're being innocent, and just like that, whew, where do these emotions come from? And they turn often into sin, you know. You know for men in particular, you know, you're walking along and our, our culture has all of these sensual images everywhere you go. And you just glance and you see something. And before you know it, your mind is not where you want to be. And you don't want to be there. And yet you've gotten there and you ask the question, who's in control here of my life? I don't want to be this way, but I seem to be this way. I seem to be going places that I don't want to go. And it can leave us defective, you know, feeling discouraged. Is there, is there something wrong with me? You know, I'm a Christian. I love Christ, and yet I behave this way. What's, what's wrong with me? Is there some sort of defect in my life? Well, this passage is all about this. What is the challenge with us? Because there is a challenge to living the Christian life, isn't there? And that challenge is that there's an enemy within. There's an enemy within us. We want to do good, and yet we do bad. We want to be holy, and yet we act depraved at times. We want to live righteously, and yet we go into sin. Where does that come from? What is this enemy that is within us that rears its ugly head from time to time? Well, we're going to talk about that enemy, but I also want to plant this idea in our head because this is what this passage talks about. What if we could take that enemy out? Just for a little while, what if we could take that enemy, bind him, and throw him in the trunk? So when someone was coming right up in front of us and, pull, and cutting us off, we wouldn't react like that. We would respond with grace and mercy and patience. When our kids came up to us and they were annoying and you know, upsetting us or whatever, we could just be calm and be in that right place and be joyful. What if we could live binding that enemy? Well, that's what we're going to talk about because the reality is it's not easy because this enemy is part of who we are. We can only have victory over sin when we put Christ over the power of self. We can only have victory over the power of sin when we put Christ over the power of self. We're going to look at three things in this sermon. The first is who is this enemy? What's his name? Where did he come from? What's the characteristics of him? We got to get to know our enemy a little bit better. And then we're going to ask the question, why is it so hard to kill him? Why is it so hard to bind him and put him down? He seems to keep coming up. Why can't we take him out? And then finally, how is the right way to bind him, to put him, to kill him, to put him down? So that's what we're going to take a look at. So let's begin. Who is this enemy from within? Now, many of you were here a couple weeks ago. Jack preached on Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Beautiful picture of who we are in Jesus Christ. And then the next sentence, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, wait, wait a second, wait a second. What, what is this earthly nature? You just said that I, I died and I've risen in Christ and that I'm with Christ and in Christ. You know, I'm supposed to be living the good life. And he turns instantly and says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, that can only mean one thing. There's two aspects to my nature, two parts of me. And this plays out. The first is our heart. You know, he talks about our heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, 500 years before the coming of Christ said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, the heart is, we use this word, we also use the spirit, the human spirit. It's the core of who we are. It's our predisposition. If you really want to look at the core of who we are, you look to the heart. And that is what has been changed with Christ. But there's a second part of us, isn't there? Our earthly nature. Referred to in a variety of different ways in Scripture, sinful nature, flesh, members of the body, all of those things, but they're all the same thing. This earthly nature is our functioning self. See, our heart is on the inside, but our functioning self is when we're thinking, when we're feeling, when we're willing. It's our heart put in action. It's not only the physical, the member part of our body, but it's also in our mind as well. It's how our heart speaks and interacts with the world around us. Our heart has been transformed, but our nature has not. Good way to think about this, 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul put it this way, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. There's an inner me and there's an outer me. And the reality is much of our life is comprised of battle, isn't it? Inner me and outer me. Paul put it this way in Romans 7. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I desire to do what is good, but I, I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, that's the evil that I do. This I keep on doing. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another work in my members, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner. Can we connect with that existentially? Anyone ever have that conversation in your head? You know, I don't want to turn on the TV. I'm addicted to this thing. I'm not going to turn on the TV. Oh, yes, you are. No, 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 no. I'm not going to turn on the TV. It's not good for me. I'm seeing things that I don't want to see. Oh, yes, you are. You like that TV. No, I don't. Oh, yes, you do. It's fun. It's great. And we go back and forth, back and forth, battle, battle. 
And all too often, that sinful nature wins out in the end, doesn't it? A battle. I remember a good friend of mine, Jim, uh, not a good friend of mine, but he was the founder, I know his son, Jim Rayburn, who was the founder of Young Life. He had this camp, and he was bringing some ministers around to see this Young Life camp. And uh, lo and behold, these ministers are walking by, and there's some kids smoking at a smoking pit. The ministers go crazy. Wait a second, wait a second, this is Christian camp. How can you have these kids smoking in the smoking pit? Jim Rayburn turns to him in his southern drawl, simply says, ain't it great to see sinners acting like sinners? Our sinful nature sins. That's why it's called the sinful nature. And it's always there and there to stay. I remember one of my kids came up to me recently and he was struggling with a sinful habit in his life that's really kind of, you know, uh, fighting with him. and He can't seem to get over it. And he was very distraught and very upset because he felt like he was failing. And I turned to my son and I simply said, cheer up, son. You're far worse than you think you are. <laughs> the sinful nature sins. That's why it does what it was. We want to disown this person, this sinful nature. We want to act like he's not us. It's somebody out there. The devil made me do it. But the reality is we are one person. At the core of who I am, my heart, I've been redeemed. But in my sinful flesh, I have not. And so there will always be this battle again and again because our sinful nature is not going anywhere. I read a book. I don't know if you remember this book when I was younger. The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Remember that? Robert Louis Stevenson published this book, 1886, and it was an instant success, seemed to resonate with people. Dr. Jekyll was a, a mild-mannered. He was a scientist. He was a kind person. He was a polite person. But he invented this potion, unbeknownst to everyone else. And when he drank the potion, he would turn into Mr. Hyde. And as Dr. Jekyll was kind, Mr. Hyde was cruel. And as Dr. Jekyll was upright, Mr. Hyde was, was uh, twisted. But Dr. Jekyll enjoyed the freedom that came with not having any sort of conscience. And so he'd drink the potion and he'd go out as Mr. Hyde and he would do these unspeakable horrors and terrors. And then he would come back and Dr. Jekyll would be distraught. But what started to happen was he started to transform into, into Mr. Hyde without even drinking the potion. And he'd stay longer and longer. And soon he had to drink the potion to turn back into Dr. Jekyll. And if you remember, at the end of the book, he's entirely Mr. Hyde. He can't turn back, and Mr. Hyde ends up killing himself. What a picture of how we sometimes feel. See, if we're ever going to have any victory over this enemy within, this Mr. Hyde, we have to understand who we are. We have to understand that this is a part of us. See, Mr. Hyde isn't who we are at the core of our being, but Mr. Hyde is a part of who we are. So often we lead defeated lives. You know, maybe you're struggling with a particular sin. Maybe it's anger. You have an anger issue. And, uh, you know, you're coming along and just the, the, the littlest thing just sets you off. And you're angry and you're upset and everybody's tiptoeing around you, walking on eggshells because they're afraid of starting this up, this anger. And you don't want it. You don't like it about yourself. And you have to ask the question, am I a Christian? 
Well, here is the answer. Do you care? Do you care about the way that you live? Are you distraught about it? Because if you are, that shows that your inner me has been transformed. So you're there. What we have to do is we have to, step one, acknowledge. Acknowledge. When we snap at our kids, when we have lustful thoughts, when we think critical of people, we shouldn't be defeated. We shouldn't be befuddled. We shouldn't be surprised. We should be aware. Acknowledge my sinful nature. Understand how cunning it is, how it likes to come along and make you think that's who you are. But it isn't. It's your sinful nature. Acknowledge it. Speak it out loud. Ah, that's my sinful nature right there. That's part of me, but it's not who I am. The first step to seeing ourselves aright is understanding that at your core, you are not Mr. Hyde, but Mr. Hyde is a part of who you are. Well, now that we've got a picture of Mr. Hyde, our outer man, we have to ask the question, why is it so hard to kill him? Why is it so hard to kill him? I mean, in our core, we've been resurrected. We're new beings. Why does this Mr. Hyde keep getting the upper hand with us? Well, that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Paul starts categorizing this earthly nature and what it is and what it does. And he breaks it into two categories. The first is sensuality, this sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. And we've seen that. You know, when you go out and we look at the TV and we, we see the billboards, we see the magazines and the internet, it's everywhere. And we want to go ahead and blame Madison Avenue, don't we? But Madison Avenue just turns at us and says, I'm just giving the people what they want. Our earthly nature, this sensuality. And then he says, and greed, which is idolatry. He puts greed in this category with sensuality. Because really, greed is a part of that sensuality, isn't it? It's just put on money as opposed to another person. That's why a lot of men and even women, as they get older, their focus turns more on money and possessions. It's just the next level of sensuality. Paul says you have to put it to death. But then Paul also says that you have to get rid of these attitudes in your mind, these sinful attitudes, anger, rage, malice, these feelings. Notice how they continue to get bigger and bigger and they boil over into our speech. Slander, filthy language, and lying as well. We've all experienced the power of this earthly nature. Why do we sin? Because it feels good. It does. It feels good. There's something liberating, if you will, of just exploding and letting all that anger out there and, you know, taking it out on someone else. But then in our core, we're hurt. We are hurt to the core. Why is it so hard to kill Mr. Hyde? Because you can't reform him. You can't reason with him. You can't transform him. There's only one thing you can do. You have to put him to death. There's a battle here. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Paul continues to use this language. You must rid yourself of all such things. This Greek here means literally put it into prison. You've got to put it into prison. You have to take off. You've taken off the old self and you've put on the new self. 
He's denoting that clothes have been taken off and that new clothes have been put on. So let's get to the heart of the matter. If it's possible, why don't we? Why is Paul even having to say these things in the first place? The reason is that our default is sin. We lean towards sin. Lean towards sin. The truth of the matter is the outer man is stronger than the inner man. Because the inner man is the heart, but the outer man controls all the faculties. You know, when an army comes in and tries to take over another country, here are the first things that it does. It wants to seize the communications. So it can take over the communications. And then it wants to seize the physical plant. Because it has the physical plant, it has the power of the country. See, that's what the sinful nature has done. It seized the communication center. It seized the physical plant. And we find ourselves being trapped in our bodies. We can't reason with this person. Our inner being, we delight in God's law, but we see another law at work in the members of our body waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of sin. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Saw an article in the paper, Sky News, November 23rd. Here was the title. Man trapped in a body for 18 years could hear everything. An engineering student thought to be in a coma for 23 years was actually conscious the whole time, he, uh, the whole time it has emerged. Rob Hoban was by, misdiagnosed as being in a vegetative state after a car crash left him totally paralyzed. But in actuality, he was trapped in his own body the whole time with no way of letting friends and family know he could hear every word that they were saying. It was only when Stephen Laurie, a doctor and researcher at the University of Liege, uh, scanned Hoban's brain in 2006 and discovered it was still working, though his body was paralyzed, that the doctors began to realize he may be conscious. The 46-year-old who now can tap out computerized messages and read books after three years of intense therapy said this, I screamed, but there was nothing to hear. All that time, I literally dreamed of a better life. Frustration is too weak a word to describe what I feel. He said, I shall never forget the day when they discovered what was truly wrong with me. It was my second birth. I want to read and talk with friends and enjoy life now that people know I am not dead. Isn't that a picture of us? trapped inside, a prisoner of our sin, wanting to get out. How many hours have we spent trying to reform our sinful nature? How many offensives have we mounted by sheer force to break through the walls? How many rules have we created to protect us from this sinful nature? Do not taste, do not touch, do not go near that computer. Do not go near that refrigerator. And yet we find ourselves inexorably drawn again and again. You can't plead with a sinful nature. You can't reason with it. You can't scold it. The truth of the matter is we are a prisoner. And so we give up. But if the first step was to acknowledge that we have this sinful nature, the second step was to recognize that our sinful nature is stronger than our heart. You see, the reality of how we get to the point of victory is by giving up first, by recognizing that you can't beat him, by 
not trying to control them, not trying to reason with them, by realizing that in your heart you have 15,000 men, a 15,000 men army, but your sinful nature has a 60,000 men army. There's no way you can beat him with what you have. Because when you finally realize that, then you can start looking for an ally. We will only gain victory over sin when we place Christ over self. This brings us to our last point, how to defeat Mr. Hyde. This is what you've all been waiting for. How do we defeat him? You know, there's one significance, significant difference between our inner man of who we once were and who we are now. Remember, in our heart, we were once uh, wonderfully in line with the outer man. Our sinful nature and our old self were in cahoots with one another. Our old man would think up sin and our sinful nature would figure out how to carry it out. Buddies for life. But Christ came into our hearts. He took out our sinful nature, uh, excuse me, our heart, our inner man, and he gave us a new man put in the image of God. And so the one significant difference between that inner man who's new and the inner man was old is the power to choose. The power to choose who I will worship. The power to choose who I will serve. You see, there's a new person on the scene as well. If it wasn't complicated enough, I've got my sinful nature, I've got my heart, but I also have Jesus Christ who dwells within me. He's in there as well. Look at 3, 10, and 11, where Paul says, do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of, it, of its creator. Here, talking about that person, there is no Greek or Jew. There's no ethnic, ethnic uh, varieties, circumcised or uncircumcised, religion, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, social, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. See, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're smart or you're dumb, if you're learned or you're unlearned, Christ is all and is in all. He is in our hearts and therefore we have the power to choose who we will serve, the flesh or Christ. Romans 8 puts it this way, those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. We put Mr. Hyde in the trunk by putting Christ in the driver's seat. We choose who we will serve. If by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body. This is how Paul in Romans 7 in one sense can say, uh, who can rescue me from this body of death? What a wretched man I am. And in Philippians can say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Who will we serve? That is the question. You see, we must serve Christ 
because Christ is the only one who ever has defeated sin. Remember, Christ was a man just like you and me. He was the God-man. He experienced every temptation that we had, went through every difficulty, and yet he did not succumb to sin. Hebrews says it this way, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we were, yet was without sin. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, Jesus underwent the power of sin so he could destroy it. He allowed himself to be a prisoner of sin prisoner of the Romans on the cross, and finally, prisoner of death itself when he allowed himself to go into that tomb and be a prisoner. But Christ came out. Christ has resurrection power. He's the only one that's overcome sin, and so he's the only one who can overcome sin in our lives. The key to having a successful life is having it lived by a successful person. That's Jesus Christ. And so if we must acknowledge that our sinful nature is there and we must recognize that we cannot defeat it, we must relinquish our life to Christ. When you're tempted and you hear that small voice that's coming to you saying, go on, it feels good, do it. Look not to your sin, look to Christ. When you're tempted and struggling with that sin and you're being drawn inexorably again and again, give up on yourself. Look to Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can save us. Jesus Christ is the one that can take Mr. Hyde and put him in the trunk. Wouldn't it be great if we were a church who practiced this? Day by day, walking in the Spirit. It's not easy, it's a battle. It'll be a battle for the rest of your life. But because we are redeemed in Christ, we have the power to choose. And so Paul gives us the command, put to death everything that belongs to your sinful nature. Remember the three steps. A, acknowledge. Acknowledge who you are. B, recognize. He's stronger than you. But C, relinquish your life to the power of Christ because he is the one that has the power to give you the strength to overcome the temptations that you face. You will have power over sin when you put Christ over self. Let's pray. Lord, what a wretched